Welcome to Counter Stories, the show by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. Uh, Luz is will be joining us later on in the show. However, we're talking about something now that she really can't um, chime in on. So she'll be joining us later. And what that is, is uh, this new, I guess, not quite new, but newly announced lawsuit filed against Minneapolis public schools over their, quote, protections of educators of color. Um, This is something that was added in the last uh, negotiation with the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers. Um, In the section, it says that it uh, it will prioritize members of underrepresented populations when the district implements layoffs, reassignments, and reinstatements, rather than based on seniority, which is uh, something that, for those of you who don't know, means the longer you've worked there, the least likely you'll be the one ousted first. So last in, last out concept. Uh, I was really surprised to see this because I... I thought it, you know, once the, once the contract was, you know, ratified that that was it. But apparently this is being brought on by um, a conservative activist group called Judicial Watch on behalf of a Minneapolis resident who I, I don't know if she's a teacher, if she's a parent, or she's just a person that lives in Minneapolis. Uh, what what were your thoughts when you guys saw this article? So... <laughs> So there's a there's a couple of things here, you know, this there's always this challenge that comes whenever we try to take action to address uh you know past wrongs racially. And and the language in the contract that they settled on specifically was addressing the fact that if in this in this first last in first out practice um, folks who are n- newly arrived or, or, or granted access to participation in the workforce later um you know uh, have have less protection, right, and are more at, at, apt to lose their jobs whenever layoffs comes come through, and so the teacher unions and the negotiations trying to figure out how to address this because people of color are one, you know, newer when it comes to being allowed to even teach, even in addition to the fact that there's the population is so low, we can't increase that when they're the first ones to be laid off during during layoffs, and so mm-hmm. the 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 negotiation was that we would try to figure out a way to address this so that we don't lose all of this talent of color so that we can continue to diversify our teacher workforce. This is one of the roadblocks and barriers. And so this lawsuit is alleging that this agreement by Minneapolis Public Schools and the Teachers Union um, is akin to uh, a race-based policy that disadvantages based on race. So i.e., if I'm a white teacher with more seniority and I get um, laid off and a, and a teacher, um, you know, who's newer in doesn't, and because they use racialized language in here, they're trying to make the case that it is race-based. It is because of race that that teacher didn't get let, laid off. And so that's the that's what's being insinuated here by this lawsuit. For me, I, I, the surprising thing was that it came on behalf of a resident um, and not like of a teacher, because I'm thinking if someone has a dispute over this, wouldn't it be somebody who was directly affected, a, a, teen, 
A teacher who might be with the district for 20 years could see this as something threatening to his or her job. But this is coming on behalf of a community of a, a Minneapolis resident. Well, I I think yeah I think it was um I think this group went out and found someone that would that they could represent in this case. I don't believe it was the other way around. I don't believe a resident found this group because they wanted to bring the suit forward. You now, can't believe could, it, but it may be possible. <laughs> I mean, it's it's possible, but how many I mean, it, it's, it's not very new. unlikely. It's 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 not new. You have to find exactly. an injured party. I was actually part of of um, the program that resulted from an adequacy lawsuit that was that was filed against the Department of Ed in Minneapolis because of the disparities that were growing between um, uh, uh, residents in Minneapolis against the school district, which resulted in an expansion of of options to move out of Minneapolis and go to suburban districts called the Choice is Yours program. And 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 so and 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 there's also other examples of folks trying to figure out how to challenge laws that try to redress rate past racial disparities, which is what we're dealing with here. Right. But you have to find somebody who's quote unquote an injured party to 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 build the, the case around. What, what what I want to be clear here though is the it, the case or the the articles are are making it seem like <laughs> they put forward and said if you um if you are a person of color you won't get laid off and you'll have privilege over white folks that's not exactly what the language says the effective in effective this past spring the exception in the language says that the seniority based system is still in place when layoffs happen, except if you are in an underrepresented population, we're going to look at that and find a way to keep you as a teacher. They, there's nothing that's a, a clear, nope, you're, you're, you can't be fired. You, you immediately go to the top of the list. There's no language like that, which is part of the reason why the superintendent sent a message to staff saying, this is without merit. We're going to fight it. And we feel strong about our position. But they also included mentorship support for teachers of color, um, anti-racist councils um, tasked with reducing inequitable practices and behaviors. So the, the 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 agreement doesn't just talk about the hiring. The agreement also talks about um, the continued discriminatory practices there that are beyond just the hiring. And so you know that all. It, that all doesn't come out in the soundbite or or the ire that uses tries to use big air quotes equality, right? And language of equality to try to to dismantle efforts for to make equity happen. And so of, it, there's, of there's course, a two step happening here. I mean that that's how things are in this country, right? There's a huge long contract with all this language, and no one reads it, so they read what the article says or the press release by the Judicial Watch Group that basically makes it seem exactly as you just described, Anthony, that's not actually happening. That if I came in last year and there has to be layoffs, that I would not be laid off because I was a person of color. And that's the message that they're spreading and the frustrating part is, well, if they're doing this whole lawsuit on behalf of a resident, we really don't know anything about this resident or what her issue was. Everything has been kind of framed from the point of view of, oh, people in community, quote unquote, people in Minneapolis, quote unquote, feel this way. But they're doing it specifically on behalf of one person. 
And and Don, you brought this up in, in some of you know because you've had the task of trying to get folks to understand the systemic system that Lee is 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 is, is you know alluding to this this one perspective. Um, and Lee, one of the things that gets me that gets my hackles up around this is oftentimes whenever there are issues pertaining to what efforts and steps that we take to re to uh, to redress the past wrongs the oftentimes in the debate minority voices get elevated to the table i remember the whole conversation around the integration revenue and the, this whole work and this task force that was established at the legislature carlos mariani was part of it helen bassett a few other folks um, who are working on this to address equity in our schools put forward this integration plan to get it never got a hearing in front of the legislature at the time you know who did get a hearing in front of get to step in front of the legislature one member of the task force with a minority opinion that did not have the support of the majority of folks actually got to got to speak in 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 in, in front of the legislature in that particular task force uh, reading that was looking at. I have experience working at DHS and testifying in front of House and Senate committees, and very similar tactics were used during um, during a lot of hearings where they created an atmosphere that, uh, according to how they were doing the hearings, that wouldn't allow voices from what, probably from their perspective, they considered on the other side of the debate and those who were allowed to testify um, came forward with similar beliefs that they had, depending on which committee they were so I was involved with the Health and Human Services Committee, and it sounds like they did the same thing in these education committees during that time. And, and that's an age-old tactic used um, to stifle voices. And even when they did, and, and don't get me wrong, they would allow folks to talk on the other side, but then at the end of those public hearings, <laughs> they would go ahead and take their vote, and the vote would come down by party lines so two days of testimony went right out the window because they were gonna everyone knew what they were gonna do. And and it sounds like they did a similar tactic with, with this group. As systemically, you know, what we're talking about, because we saw we saw um a very similar backlash with um, you know, with with and, and it was a topic that that we uh talked about in in social work in terms of uh these anti-discrimination lawsuits that came up in terms of, you know, around, um, affirmative action, right. And <clears throat> affirmative action was another effort to address systemic, uh, inequalities that existed in hiring practices for people, for communities of color, you know, since, since everything was created here, you know, it, it, um, you know, when we talk about unions, um, uh, blacks, particularly blacks, because I think some Native Americans were were able to get in on some of these unions back in the 20s and 30s and 40s. There weren't that many, but they weren't excluded exclusively because they were Native American. However, African Americans, on the other hand, black folks were excluded from these from unions. They were excluded from these kind of job opportunities. Now, don't get me wrong, in the teachers' union, we have black teachers who have been gainfully employed 
in the uh, school systems for 20, 30, 40 years. So I just don't want to give the audience the impression that all teachers of color um, have just been recently hired. That's not true because when I went to grade school, I had a few, there were a few teachers of color and I had them, right? But with the increasing disparities that exist in the educational outcomes of our children that negatively impact black, brown, Latino, native, all children of color were reading disparities, English disparities, math disparities are out the window in Minneapolis public schools. There has been a concerted effort, an attempt to address those inequalities, those those disparity gaps between our kids and, and white kids in, in the Twin Cities. There has been, I think, in the past five, six, seven years, a concerted effort to attract new, young, talented teachers from various communities of color to try to come in and help address. Uh, we know through studies that children perform in the classroom when they're able to see someone who looks like them, you know, who can relate to their experience. And, and so there's been this effort to bring in additional teachers, and it's those individuals I mean, my daughter is attending the University of Iowa right now in early education. When she announced to me a couple years ago that that's the field she wanted to go into, I'm aware of all, all this stuff, you know, <laughs> happening. Mm -hmm. And we questioned her, you know, are you sure this is what you want to do? You know, and but she loves working with children. She would be an individual, I think, that when she finishes, school systems throughout the country would be would be looking to bring her in. She's biracial, she's black, she's native. I mean, she, you know, and and um but in an ins but in that teacher strike, if she would would have been hired under the seniority system, they would have and they have programs in place to help folks get through the system to even get that teaching degree and then to hire them. And then in, uh, uh, so what we're talking about is when layoffs happen, all that work, all that effort to bring these individuals in to help address those disparities would have fell to the wayside. Yeah, there are tons and tons. I see tons and tons of, of, advertisements or ads or programs that are like recruiting teachers of color will help pay for your training well you know we'll do this and this and this to help you so there's like these this effort out there and then I'm thinking like aren't don't aren't aren't we in like a teacher shortage and so why is this coming up when we just need people we need bodies right and and that in of itself right there is exactly the, the, the big issue that I have here, all right? Um, I think folks, folks' fear and racial disconsciousness is being pimped out for the sake of political gain in this space. Because 
um, it, 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 this is not something that is going to affect folks on mass. However, they are trying to make a very specific legal argument. It's Article 15 in the contract. That's the protections for educators of color section of the contract. And um, it, it, what it what it what it basically does, just to reiterate again, is when layoffs come in there and you get to the next senior person is a white person, but the person behind them is a person of color, that it gives you the opportunity to not just summarily dismiss that that person of color. Um, and so you can keep that person of color and then the the, the, the the white teacher will be laid off. And it's because of that that seeming practice, although it hasn't been instituted yet and so it hasn't even been practiced yet, so we don't know that that's what's happened at, at all yet. Um, they're saying that that violates um, the Minnesota state constitution, the Minnesota's Equal Protection Guarantee, which states that no member of this state shall be disenfranchised or deprived of any of the rights or privileges secured to any citizen thereof, unless by the law of the land or the judgment of his of of his peers. Language already <laughs> got some challenges there, um, and then and then it says that it's it's uh, this equal protection guarantee is analyzed under the same principles of the equal protection clause in the U.S. Constitution. So what this means is, if I've already stacked the deck to exclude folks of color, then I don't have an issue. But if I try to go back and I redress it, then somehow I am I am using race to privilege folks over white folks. This this to me uh, has just as much issue as our state deseg rules because our state deseg rules you can be a white district next to another white district and not have to do anything to integrate, but let you be was it twenty percent thirty percent racial difference of folks of color. Now you have to have an integration statute. So the onus, we don't have an integration problem if you're an all-white district, but we do have an integration problem if you're an all-black district um, mm. next to and contiguous to a, a, a district that, that is 20 or 30% racially different than your, than your own. So, mm-hmm. so to me, the language in and of itself is, 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 is an oxymoron because you, 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 you only have the, 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 the same protections that were tried to put there to stop overt racism is, is now covertly protecting white folks from having to be in a level playing field with folks of color while we're trying to diversify. It, it is, it is, mm-hmm. it, it is, it twists my mind into anger and frustration and rage. Anthony, I think even, even when we look at affirmative action, mm-hmm. okay. So even with affirmative action, when you're, when you're interviewing individuals and let's say you end up with two candidates and they're, both kind of on as equal footing as they can be. And one is black and one is white. Even with affirmative action, you as an employer are not required to hire that black person. You can hire any one of those two. Now it's encouraged in order to address uh, the historical non-hiring of black employees to hire that back black and uh applicant but you as a manager are not by law will not be breaking any law if you decide not to so even when affirmative action was set up for hiring it was worded in such a way that that um there weren't really penalties in place if you because the practice would continue if if i am more comfortable with someone who looks like me and I'm and I'm uh, not a person of color 
My tendency is to hire someone who I'm comfortable with, who looks like me. Um, and so, but the argument against affirmative action, especially in educational systems, is the same argument we're hearing now in this in this instance here where they're going after this uh, attempt to try to figure out, because my understanding, because I remember we, we talked about this prior to the language coming about, and even I was having a hard time at that time because I asked the question, you know, how can a union legally um, do that, right? I mean, because unions have those kind of stringent rules and policies in place, and I, and I was having a hard time trying to understand how the union, but it was the union itself that came up with this language in order to work around it. And now we have an outside group coming mm-hmm. in here and telling us, no, we can't do that. Right. That's my problem it, right there. Yes. It fits the larger pattern that we're seeing across the country. A, a big issue that I have, not only because it's happening while we have a teacher shortage, but because the union and Minneapolis public schools had agreed to this. This was something that we remember the strikes. We remember we've talked to teachers on this show and teachers in our lives about how important something like this is for them. And then to have somebody, a group come in and say, you can't do that and, and use a Minneapolis resident um, to as their vessel, it's, it's, it's incredibly infuriating. So, I mean, when I read the article, uh, I assumed it was a white woman. And they named this person. We don't know much about this person. I mean, she could be a person of color, for all we know. We've got to verify that. But but that's not a new practice itself. Um, oftentimes, you know, folks will galvanize or get a person of color. Um, you know, it's it's just like the debates we had around the, the, the um, Washington team's name. For a former name, right? That everybody's, you know, very clearly saying that this is a racial epithet. So what do they do? Folks go and they'll find a native person who says it doesn't bother me. And that person mm-hmm. all of a sudden gets elevated yeah. to speak for the whole, just like the hearing on the floor, just like mm-hmm. the affirmative action case, right? The 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 lawsuit that un- unraveled that affirmative ac- action ruling, uh, you know, is somebody who who didn't get in on their merits and then tried to use this to say that this is the why they didn't get in their merits and it's not the the common experience. Even the example you gave down around hiring, despite folks wanting to have all of these things these 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 initiatives in place to diversify their workforces, we know that the 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 continued retesting of even the name test take to take take the same person, same resume, change the name to be to be a, a more European sounding name and those names get elevated and invited back automatically more so than the others. And again, we keep coming back to this lack of understanding of the difference. And I would say the weaponizing of equality versus equity. Right now, we have dominant cultural folks who are weaponizing equality, the very language we fought and died for just to get there. And now that we want to move even further into a space of equity, of actual of fairness, the conversation around fairness, the conversation around equality is used to short circuit the conversation mm. around fairness. Mm-hmm. So we can't go back and redress the years and years in history. You know, I would like to see, and I'm just saying, like, what would, an, what would a lawsuit look like that would go forward and allege because of the past history of discrimination, 
teachers of color have an unfair unfair uh, shot at securing a teaching job because of last and first out policies. Where's that lawsuit at? And so that's why uh, that's why I agree that this is without merit, because we can't get real on this equality versus equity understanding. I, I just like to want, want, want to put in, in this this piece before we we, we move on is and and we're not just talking about this because it it's hap- because it's the it's the one thing I think it's really indicative of some of the challenges that we're going to in tactics we're going to start seeing folks try to use yes. going forward as we have more and mm-hmm. more people because because the trend in society let me just talk about the majority trends in society majority trends in society are favoring being more open and welcoming addressing racial uh you know ra- uh, racialized issues in the past addressing our racialized history that still has inertia to our time now if i barred certain folks from working in an industry up until a certain time frame there's going to be a lag there's going to be uh, um, you know, it's going to take time to write that ship. It's a big ship to turn. And so we have to go back and we have to do specific things that say, hey, in order to, if we don't do anything drastic like this, if we don't put policy in place, then the status quo is going to keep these folks out of the system and keep those folks um, unable to, to participate. If this unravels, if this falls, is it open up the door for folks to start challenging things like initiatives to try to diversify teacher workforce in the first place, scholarships or grants that that mm-hmm. give give money forward? Now, now this is only saying that the district shouldn't be able to use public funds, um, you know, uh, or should we certain public funds shouldn't be able to be used for anything having to do with this particular initiative? Well, we know that's just you know. Uh, legal lease talk for because it's all public funding for the for the school or the majority public funding for the school district, so it, it won't work, right? But but we also I'm 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 worried about any other effort that we try to take to write the past. The mayor of St. Paul, for example, on you know on the same lines, uh, just up the amount of money for folks who can show that they were residents of Rondo, interrupted by uh, 94 going through for down payment assistance. If you can prove that you're from Rondo, if you can show that you want to stay in Rondo, and if the house that you're trying to buy or, or, or build or whatever is in Rondo, you get up to $100,000 of, of down payment assistance towards redressing that past wrong. Does this now come up on, on the radar? Is it now susceptible to similar lawsuits? Just because somebody feels like, <laughs> feels like they're going to be disadvantaged just because they have to play in a more level playing field and not enjoy the privileges they had before. They want to go they want to go back to that old that old adage that conversation that we've heard for generations that um was you know put in our face where where you know many individuals that transplanted to this to this country um immigrants but you know the story was the same. My my grandfather moved here, was able to work hard, pull up their boots, and go the whole nine yards. You know what happened to you, and you know what's missing from that narrative is the very things that we're talking about here, being excluded from those opportunities, and so our attempts to to redress. All that historical disparity, the huge income gaps between communities of color and white America, um, all that is being attacked. And this is just another another attempt to stop um, these measures. I mean, 
two years ago, it was it was George Floyd, and we needed to dismantle racism, right? We need we need to do what we can to make this right. And since that time, we're beginning to experience a continuous series of backlash. And this is just another thing that's added to that. Uh, this language from the contract that says uh, this policy is designed to remedy the continuing effects of past discrimination by the district. Um, and that, I'm afraid, that type of language, and all this stuff you guys are talking right? could this lead to this, could this lead to that? I think for these watch groups, these conservative watch groups, that what they hear is reparations. And that, oh, we're going to stop trying to do all this stuff we've been doing for so long to off, you know, and we're, we're, in, we're integrating a new policy to offset all the bad things that we had previously done. And I think these groups look at that and they see reparations and that scares the living daylights out of white people. Joining us now is our fourth member of our family, and I'll let her uh, reintroduce herself to our listeners or introduce herself for the first time to new listeners. Thank you, my dear. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota, and any comments or opinions that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I should note that I did not take part uh, in the discussion preceding this segment, uh, this part of the segment. So we are still talking about education, right? This is the second of, of what we hope is a, a series of conversations around education. And one thing that has just been happening all summer, everyone's talking about it, but um, the whole Stop Woke Act in Florida has now been halted. And that don't make DeSantis happy. And he says that he's going to, he's declared war, even though you know, it's it's not that uh, initiative is not moving forward right now. How is that going to affect our kids, you guys? This so again the just just for some background, the Stop Woke Act was a was an act that was put forward that basically bars um, businesses tra- uh, diversity, equity, inclusion training in businesses in particular. Um, the 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 language says um, that the it it. It basically stops you from, and I'm trying to pull a quote up right here. The law prohibits teaching of business practices that contend members of one ethnic group are inherently racist and should feel guilt for past actions committed by others. But a judge in Florida threw it out. And Judge Walker said that the law as applied to diversity, inclusion, and bias training in businesses and education sectors turns the First Amendment upside down because the state is barring speech by prohibiting discussion of certain concepts in training programs. And he says, in quote, if Florida truly believes we live in a post-racial society, then let it it make its case, the judge wrote, but it cannot win the argument by muzzling its opponents. And so this, again, is part of that, this lawsuit, part of this this work to try to stop people from having discussions that make white people uncomfortable. You know, I've been doing um, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion training for over 30 years before it was known as DEI, right? So... If you're doing the math, that that makes me of a certain age, and I'll just leave it there. I've got to accept that. <laughs> but at, at no point at any have I um, espoused any content that begins to shame people who are not uh, Black, Indigenous, or of color, right? I mean, that's just, as a practitioner, 
that is that is not what we do. And that actually right. goes against the goal of what we want to accomplish. So from the start, the premise of, of his movement, if you will, of this movement is flawed. I'll, I'll, I'll begin there. And I've also attended various DI trainings by other practitioners locally and nationally. And again, never have I experienced any content that would speak to that or, or make that um, observation or conclusion the way he's, you know, he's indicating. I can tell you, though, that what I think is underlying all this is a certain mindset of certain segments of our community, our society, better said, uh, society, along the lines of the Great Replacement, right? Folks are feeling fear about having uh, this awareness become even more uh, relevant and more accepted and more adopted, for one. Um, the writing on the wall with respect to our numbers in terms of communities of color, uh, immigrants, far, far outweigh the growth rate in white communities, right? And this is all census. This is all, you can you can hop on um, and check these numbers with the U.S. Census Bureau as well as local states. We have in our communities a higher birth rate and a lower death rate. So what does that mean? We can have babies longer um, and we live longer um, because we have a higher birth rate than white folks and a lower death rate. So our numbers by the by 2042, and that number keeps changing, it was at one point 2050 that BIPOC folks would be the majority across our country in terms of numbers. That has gone down to 2042. I've been seeing actually uh, some demographers after they're done with uh, crunching all these numbers and the American Community Survey that's taken every five years or every three to five years, that it might be even sooner. We're talking potentially 2040. Um, which is only 18 years from now. So folks are getting real nervous is what I'm saying. The numbers of BIPOC folks um, are growing and they can't stop that. They physically can't, stop. they're trying, you know, with these anti-abortion measures and things of that sort, you know. Um, but I think that is a, a big part of where this is coming from. I, you know, that's all speculation. I, I should say, and anecdotal on my behalf. But it, uh, it's consistent with the behavior that we're seeing uh, with some of these white nationalists. So I found a, a, a handout that I just wanted to kind of read for the audience, for folks who may not be aware, because I, I had heard about it, but I, I didn't hear the entire language. But they, of course, put together a handout that they could put out to constituents so that they could see and understand. So it, it's called Stop Woke, W-O-K-E Act, and that stands for the Stop the Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees Act, right? <laughs> and for schools, it's protecting our teachers and students. It codifies the Florida Department of Education's Prohibition on teaching critical race theory in K through 12 schools and prohibits school districts, colleges, and universities from hiring woke CRT consultants. In corporations, it's protecting our employees and workplaces. 
it protects employees against a hostile work environment due to critical race theory training. The consequences, tools for employees and teachers to fight back, Mm. provides employees, parents, and students a private right of action, and it strengthens enforcement authority of the Florida Department of Education. So that Stop the Woke Act was trying to do what the previous administration was attempting to try to do and put it and put it in place across and this time this language in Florida was including colleges and universities, right? So beyond just public schools, K through 12, but colleges and universities and incorporation essentially saying that you can't teach critical race theory um, because it will upset. <laughs> which which I, is just which is just real history. It's literally just the truth about this country. And Don, I I was following your reading of that handout, and I see that it's posted on FloridaGov.com. Yeah, this, they, they've used government resources, taxpayer resources. To post this, which is ridiculous for one, as a state employee, you know, what I if know we got, did if we did that, we would be penalized. Oh yeah, there are. Con- right? I mean, there. This is this is not appropriate. And then the second bullet under schools, as you read, prohibits schools, school districts, colleges, and universities from hiring woke CRT consultants. How do you even begin to define that? I mean, clearly <laughs> someone, someone, someone didn't get legal opinion on this. I mean, there's so I many you, flaws. I think within. you'd fall into that category, Louis, as a DPI. We all would. Guilty as, guilty as charged. But, but we but all no, would I, fall under true, that. That's true. Who puts that on your resume? I'm a woke CRT practitioner. I'm, I'm a woke CRT practitioner. I'm, I might exactly. I might start now, but the the <laughs> exactly uh, exactly. I think there's some important distinctive pieces. Critical race theory is a real thing and that it is a a, a collegiate level legal argument that basically says here's what our past laws have done and let's examine the effect of those past laws on the systems that are in front of us. That is very different. That is a whole different category than saying here's the history of a people that has been left out. That's that it it, it may have some 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 congruence with each other, but nobody, to your point, Lee, I just want to underscore, as a practitioner myself, we don't go in and we say, here, this is critical race theory and this is what we're about to teach you, right? And, and so in, in the absence of any of that knowledge, you can have a legislation like this that's nebulous at best, that doesn't even address the real thing. But I also want to point out the fact that if we're going to base legislation on the comfort of white folks, we will never get this conversation going. There, I, I have this conversation with a business partner of mine all the time that, 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 that you know, because we want to, to, to lose this point around practice. It doesn't help you for change work to have, to, to get folks into what's called neuromuscular lock, where everything just shut down and I go into pure defensiveness. You're not moving that person along. So a practitioner has to figure out ways to come in there and be adept at their craft of, of of culture change, of mindset change, to be able to pull somebody along a journey, you don't do that by, by leaning in with guilt, pity, fear, and shame. The problem that we have is that I will walk into rooms and before I open my mouth, because I'm a black male with locks who's confident in my abilities, 
somebody's going to feel some kind of way and guilt, pity, fear, and shame can come out just because my presence. I don't even have to open Mm -hmm. my mouth for that to happen. That has very little to do with me and everything to do with the fact that that we are trying to entrench ourselves from having what we see as hard conversations. And so a lawsuit like this doesn't have to be based in anything, but we can turn around and make claims that, that somebody, somehow somebody teaching an analysis, an honest analysis of the of the history of our legal system, um, is somehow gonna 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 be harmful to our to our kiddos. That's the kind of thing that leads us down. I just want folks to take their history books out. There's a very similar conversation project that happened in Germany post-World War One. As folks were hungry, Germans were trying to piece their, their, their lives together after the Bismarck laid them down the path of World War I. And in the foment of that space, somebody was able to come in and convince folks that some that other folks are coming to take their take their jobs, to lead them down a path of indoctrination and do all of those things. His name was Adolf Hitler. And, and he convinced a whole lot of folks to be fearful in some of the same ways that language like the Woke Act is trying to do in our own space. And our own lack of understanding of history allows us to be duped by the similar thing at the same time. This is what's getting me concerned. So this is another one of those, like, the, we're villainizing the people who are asking for equity, right? I mean, there's a, this is a... There's this trying to be a law to say that if you are too quote unquote woke, you can't be hired into these job positions. And Anthony, you had mentioned something in the first half of our show, equity versus equality. (laughs) And how that looks in the work that folks like us who do some DEI training stuff, you know, are now like being put into a position of being a villain in the eyes of a lot of people, this this white fragility, right, is 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 real. The re- as you talk about that, that you you make me you make me think of just again going around comparing historical lines. Let's 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 look at 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 the South during the Civil War. Poor whites in the South were 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 being depressed by the institution of slavery. They were absolutely. Um, um, negatively affected by the practice of slavery. There, there was, there was. Why would I hire you when I can have free labor? And so, in order to get poor whites in the South to rally against uh, the Union, to rally for preserving slavery, which was one of the roots of their own economic depression, um, they would use rhetoric like this to vilify somebody's trying to come in, mess with your mind. Somebody's trying to impart something upon you. Um, even if the thing that's that folks are trying to to investigate is the very thing that if it changes benefits you. This is the thing that comes to mind right now because even when we've talked about affirmative action, we've talked about all these efforts to redress historical wrongs, the biggest beneficiaries of a lot of that work have not been the very communities who are suffering from the policies and practices that have been there. When you when we think about Public policy, there are often two questions that I that I uh, consistently ask myself when I'm analyzing some something. Who does it harm and who does it benefit? Right? Because if you think about it that way, you can you can begin to narrow in uh to the why. Why is this happening? Why is this coming in front of us uh for consideration? And we know, you know, the age-old adage of you have to know your history 
Otherwise, you repeat it, right? You make the same mistakes. And, and that's professionally and personally. If, if you don't remember and reflect on what you've done in the past, you're, and you don't learn from it, then you're likely to commit the same mistake in the future. So that's why it, it's so important to have history. And that's the connecting then the dots to the critical race theory uh, discussion that we just had. The other part of this is that this is the classic divide and conquer. If they were unsuccessful in divide and conquer, they know that they wouldn't be successful, right? That's a threat to their position. It's a threat to their power. It's a threat to, to carry out their agenda. So, of course, they're going to be doing all these acrobatic stints and trying to see what sticks. And it doesn't matter anymore, we've learned, whether it's true or not. But since the um, reconfiguration of what the word news means, you know, in terms of the news that we see on, on television or the news that we get by a way of podcasts or newspapers, I mean, it used to be that I know when I was growing up, if, if you saw National Enquirer on the newsstands, you knew that that was not accurate news. I mean, you knew, but everything else, you pretty much were confident that it was accurate. We're not in that era anymore. So folks like DeSantis doesn't have to be concerned about whether it's accurate or not in terms of this woke, anti-wokeness. He just knows that it sticks and it's good for divide and conquer. It's good for their agenda. It's good for the the ability to continue to have their um, leaders in control being able to execute on the on the actions that they want to carry out. And they do this using fear, which is such a great yeah. thing that people yeah. often use in, in politics to get what they want is this fear that, you know, if you're if you're too woke, then there's something wrong with you. I, I mean, to that point, I, I just want to underscore that because as a pastor, I will, I will, I will get a sermon that that moves a whole bunch of folks to get bold and to see their brilliance and to go out and take and and and, and tackle the world. Right? Come Wednesday, let one or two people using fear to try to scare folks back in their box, and I got to start all the way over again. And it's just so just fear is a is a powerful motivator that no matter how many positive messages a person gets, regardless of whether it's faith based or just, you know, social social space, it, it is a motivator that really triggers the 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 autonomic nervous system to to go into the lizard brain real quick. Um, so I think we also just it's it's this thing of like everybody's for equity and equality and all that until it affects them. Right. Or until they think that it's at their front door. And and that's a uh, that's a really frustrating thing, because I think there are and we've talked about this in previous shows, like people who call themselves allies, you know, for racial justice. But then when it affects their family, like, you know, uh, I was looking for an artist. I wanted to give preference to an artist of color and a, a white woman I know contacted me and said her son wanted to do it. And I said, he's great, but he's not even from this neighborhood. It's a neighborhood project. And I wanted to give preference to artists of color. And then she became very, well, that's racist against us and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, all over Facebook and social media and everything, it's all like pro, you know, Black Lives Matter, pro, pro, uh, you know, equity and you know, pro-gay marriage and all this stuff, but then it comes to your front door and then it, it, it scares you. And and that works so much. It, it just, it amuses me how 
the very things that were put in place to keep us down become the very things that they throw in our face when we try <laughs> to put things in place to um to raise the feel i mean there's so much that needs to be done not just in terms of equality but you know to address the inequities and and those are two different things you know um you know let's localize this there are individuals who have been showing up to the Roseville school board meetings for about the past year and it kind of started around the issue of trans children in school but there are individuals who show up to Roseville school board meetings talking against any type of policies that were put in place to protect trans and other um, other protected classes that are in place in Roseville Public Schools. They have been using language similar to the Stop the Woke Act. And they show up for every board meeting, and there's about four or five of them. And they, they come with the same message. And I forget the name of the church that they're associated with here in, in Roseville. But I watched about two, three board meetings, and there's four or five of them that come in with the same message that's very similar to the handout that I read. I have not heard, or when I'm engaged in conversation with someone who's coming from that camp, and I ask them to explain to me what exactly is critical race theory. I have yet to come across one individual who's pushing to stop that um, has ever been able to explain to me what critical race theory is. They don't know what it is. But, okay, so this whole, like, you know, I was saying, like, critical race theory, learning the real history of this country— do you guys think that the Little League World Series officials, you know, could have learned from history, right? And what the incident that had happened that's been reported this week, they may have thought maybe that's not a good idea to put cotton balls on children's heads. Um, because of the of obviously everybody went and shot the 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 young black boy who was getting cotton put onto his head. And and so this was something that just came out that everybody's kind of talking about. And I know, Anthony, that um, you had shared that many students were getting this done to themselves at the time. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it was a moment where where kids got bored and started to take the stuffing out of these little stuffed animals that they all had. And they all began to just like, you know, sit, put it on each other's head. And then the one shot that gets, of course, goes viral is is the, is the little black boy having, having it put in his head. And it looks like they're putting cotton on his head. Now, um... I, I just as as we unpack this, this again, the fact that we have space to be able to look at the layers of nuance that include the history um, and black folks' relation to, to cotton through our history of slavery in the United States is a part of that conversation mm-hmm. can be held up alongside the fact that many of these kids may not have known at all that same association 
or even the adults around, which is also indicative of the problem that we have in not knowing our history. At least the adults should have known. At least the adults should have known. And I mean, if I I saw that at at one of my nieces or nephews' activities, I would step in. But but here's the thing. Um, Folks did, one, um, because what we're responding to is one shot that has been sensationalized. It doesn't speak at all about the folks who came in, right? I don't know. So what I'm saying is, I don't know that knowing all of this history by the adults around them would have stopped this one screenshot from getting out. Right. Because you didn't, we don't get to see what happened in the response to it. Again, I'm not trying to to to, to make a judgment about the reactions to folks, with the exception that folks are so quick to go onto the defensive about it was all innocent, rather than saying, mm-hmm. "Yo, we need to we need to learn." From, hey, this this is not a good look. I know for me, if if I was sitting on there and I see kids trying to put cotton in my kids' hair. I'm I'm about to lose it. You're going to have a whole nother image on ESPN coming out uh, of me running in and bum-rushing some folks to move them out, out the, on my way from putting that on top of my kids' hair, let alone from the fact that I know what's about to have to happen for the whole rest of the night to get that stuff out of his hair. <laughs> because, so... But, but we don't have the space. This is the thing that this anti-woke language, all this other stuff, trying to whip up a fervor, it takes the oxygen out of a space from us to go back and say, hey, do y'all even know what that looks like? And then have a conversation around it, right? Use so it as a teachable that, moment. Yeah. And the adults also, aside from having what you both said, this be a teachable moment, the other part of this is that adults need to really step up when there is a mistake, right? And own the mistake rather than have these these carefully worded statements, yes. one that I will just I will read now. So this was this was uh, a statement issued by the Little League. Quote, as only one player appeared on the broadcast, Little League International understands the actions that could be perceived as racially insensitive. That's like the, okay. I'm sorry if you were offended by what I said. I was about to say that, Haley. I was about to say that, <laughs> right? It's the same thing. And they don't even say, I'm sorry. I apologize if that offended you. That's the whole apology, not apology, right? This is the same. First of all, they are minimizing it as only one player, right? As if one player's life or feelings doesn't matter, right? So, so let's discount it. It's, it really wasn't a big thing. Whether or not there were other boys, as you said, Anthony, you know, we don't know factually yet. Um, but one is enough. He's still a child, and he still has feelings, and and his family as well. All right. Then the the wording could be perceived. You are being told that it is offensive. Mm-hmm. This is not about could be. It is factually offensive given the slave. Um, trade that some people continue to want to wash away and deny happened. And then the other um, word in here, perceived as racially insensitive. Are you kidding me? You are being told by families and children it is offensive. It goes beyond being insensitive. So there's a lot to learn here in this, uh, I think, particular example from the standpoint of mistakes will be made, of course. And and Anthony, I, I I agree with you and Don that it's unlikely that these children had the intent. 
That said, it doesn't erase that it happened. And it doesn't erase the trauma that this child and other children saw that day and their families and collectively across the nation as this has gone viral. The right step for these uh, Little League officials would be to own that and use it as, as a moment to say, yes, we need to be better. Yes, these are the steps we're going to take uh, you know, in response. And then dot, 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 like continue that rather than to try to sweep it under the proverbial internet media uh, rug and that we're never going to see this again. Right. I mean, the thing is, is that like what I would have loved to hear, because it did seem like the kids are the kids are just bored. Right. And start tearing stuff apart, you know. Is that is a statement that, you know, this this is something that happened. We didn't realize it was happening. We stopped it as soon as we could, if that's even true. But to say we're going to talk about how this affected the people on our team, the, 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 the kids. I mean, these white kids might have gone home and been like, why is everybody mad at me? Somebody needs to explain to and describe the impact of the things that they have done in this poor black boy. What was, you yeah, know, but Hilly, the Stop the Woke Act won't allow that to happen. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't oh, allow Don. you to hire an outside consultant to help you with the conversation. So we'd have to hope one of the coaches. I, you know, I'm <laughs> just saying the Stop the Woke Act won't well, allow well, check, check, that discussion to happen. Check, <laughs> check this out. Check this out, right? So, so unfortunately, I have experienced the, 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 the culture of some of these, um, you know, league sports spaces in many places around um, and many school districts, um, you know, have had this incident happen where a sports team or a group of students come to school dressed in, in quote unquote, stereotypical black or, or, or thug, you know, outfits, right? There's a big incident in Hopkins High School in a, so, a couple of years ago where the ski team came in chinchillas and, and do-rags and stuff like that. And folks wanted to talk about it and have an issue, right? And it, it led, it, 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 it blew up. There are incidences on during Spirit Week in some school districts across the country. You have things where, where a Spirit Week day that maybe dress-up day Thug Thursday or something like that, where mm-hmm. where you come to school and you're, you know, dressed like a particular cultural group. We've got college parties. The whole, um, you know, the the whole Dear White People movie was based on an incident, one that happened at the University of Minnesota, where folks came in blackface to yeah. parties and things like that. It is not without the realm of possibility that folks saw what was happening around and still picked up on the 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 ability to 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 play on this racial line that and then turn around and feign ignorance or I didn't know and and I think that may be also what's at the heart of this anti CRT you know stop the woke act thing because if these conversations persist I might have to contend with my own complicity in some mm-hmm. of the actions that are put in front in front of me. And so the guilt is actually real and founded because I have to address the actions that I have taken in the past. I, I want to call out to the fact that when, when, when the country was beginning to piece the story of slavery together in the 1920s and 30s, when Time Life was dispatched by the president to go and capture the narratives of the, of the quote-unquote last surviving uh, survivors of, of slavery— um, records houses begin to burn in parts of the country as people begin to try to bury that past. And so mm-hmm. I think one of the things that has to be mentioned in this conversation as we unpack it is the notion that, yes, there are things that folks are going to have to account for. 
that that nobody ever called you on before, but we're in a different states now. We're in a different place where we have more knowledge, more understanding, and it can be hard. I'm dealing with this even in my own family amongst people of color. Things that we used to do and say that feed into this white supremacist notion that we were complicit in, whether it's against other people of color, uh, other stereotypes against other other folks. And now that we're in a space that wants to call the question on that, that that'll put you into some some having to do some soul searching for yourself. And that's part of the meal low as well. You know, Anthony, you just you just opened up another whole discussion that I think that we can have another time. Because, you know, not not just sayings, but practices, right? I mean, and 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 one practice that I'm that jumps right out at me in terms of uh how we were raising our kids or how many in, in the black community is is this idea of whipping and where did that come from? And so, you know, so there are I mean, so there are many avenues that we could really take off on this. But I don't think to we learn. want to jump into that's a, that's it right now. That's a whole nother episode. Exactly. Um, you know, Anthony, what you said about like folks having to to look within and the privileges that they've had that they don't want to admit to reminds me of a conversation I had with a white guy who wanted to do a development like in the hood, basically. And I met with him and I said, you know, you should have folks of color, folks from this neighborhood working with you. You're an outsider, you know, white cis white dude coming in and saying you're going to you know, f- help our community. And his response was, I can't help that I was born white. And <laughs> and somehow that just <laughs> encapsulates what, what some of the stuff that we have been trying to talk about and get through today. And it's just so complex and so layered. As we close out our conversation, I'm really hoping that we will be adding more um, episodes to our educational series. And I thank you guys for bringing all this stuff up because, you know, there are things that you guys say that I, I didn't think of or I didn't, you know, it didn't cross my mind. And it's always an educational opportunity, education series um, between just the four of us and hopefully all of our listeners. I'm Halili, owner of The Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Panel with Dribble Indians. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. And I just want to add that James Baldwin said, it is certain in any case that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. Mm. Perfect. Mm. Love that. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For a full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. <laughs>